Good morning, Bucknutters. It is Sunday, November 22nd, 2020. I am Dan Rubin. This is the Bucknuts Morning 5 on Sunday. We will be joined in just a minute by the People's Champ, Matt Baxendale. That will be followed up by the Dean of Ohio State Recruiting, Bill Curlick. Ohio State improves to 4-0 with a win over top 10 Indiana at the shoe. It was, uh, let's say, an interesting game. Let's do it this way. Ohio State led 35-7 to with 12 minutes and 10 seconds left to go in the third quarter. The final score of the game was 42-35, to which is our Ohio State team backs, the one that was up 35-7 or the one that made us hit the bottle a little harder down the stretch? Well, I think at this point, they're clearly both. <laughs> so we've had the same pattern happen three straight games where Ohio State runs out to a big lead and it looks like they're about to blow the doors off their opponent. And then for whatever reason, they generally lose the second half. In some instances, like this one, by a pretty big margin. Uh, we're lucky that Ohio State won that game. Now, I, I, I think that we need to put this into a little bit of perspective because this was a top 10 opponent. And if we had beaten, let's say this was top 10 Wisconsin or top 10 Penn State or something, right? And Ohio State wins by a touchdown, we'd all have gone, phew, good win, right? So maybe we need to give Indiana that kind of credit this year because they're a darn good football team, and they showed it yesterday. But I, I think we really have to look at it quite simply as, you know, the team that jumped out to 35-7, to seven, that's their ceiling, right? That, that's, that's how good they can be. In fact, you could argue they could have been even better because Justin Fields, for the first time, was a human instead of a robot, uh, at quarterback. I mean, it took 18 games into the Justin Fields experience for him to have a bad game, and he still threw for 300 yards and accounted for three touchdowns. So there's something to be said there. But I, I do think that we're past concern with the second half collapses at this point. But it's very clear how talented this team is. Whether the season's going to be long enough for them to sort of figure out their their issues when it comes to the second halves, that remains to be seen at this point. But I, I think we do need to look at yesterday's game with a little bit more positivity than seems to be done right now by the fan base. Let's drill down for a minute here on what we think takes place, because I do get that everybody refers to Indiana as a top 10 team. I would like to know how many top 10 teams have been behind by four touchdowns in the second half at any point in a game this season. And I'm not one for this particular measure, but ESPN has a game flow chart in which they assign a win probability to your team at all times. Ohio State's never dipped below 81%, and that was in the second quarter. So is this a case of a team mentally having issues staying on top or is this a case of them getting figured out schematically and holding on down the stretch you look at what ohio state did uh in the second half of each of these games it's very clear that there's adjustments being made by the other team whether those adjustments are being countered by ohio state is the complete opposite side of the story i mean schematically speaking it doesn't seem like we're one that's much for halftime adjustments at this point the flip side of that is, is that this is a really young team and you have to wonder how much of their mental focus has gone away. Uh, it's particularly the defensive side of the football. Whenever they're up big, it's like their intensity dips and it happens every single game. So, you know, I, I think part of it is just having them stay focused for four quarters. I mean, what has been the conversation we've heard about a lot of these younger guys as to why they haven't been on the field yet was is that, Oh, they hadn't had their focus where it should have been. They're not starting because they weren't bringing it every day in practice. Well, if that's the case, that's carrying through on the field, and that's a concern. So 
uh, and yes, I use the word concern, even though the secondary at this point is far beyond concern, it officially moved into liability status at this point. The reality is, I think we can drill down the defense, not even the linebackers or the defensive line, though the D-line getting a little bit more pressure would certainly help. You can come down to these being breakdown of the secondary, almost exclusively on the secondary. Uh, outside of uh, yesterday on, on, on the long touchdowns that OSU gave up, the, a lot of them were just blown coverages. And most of them were ascribed to players who are defensive backs. And, and Taraja Mitchell made one pretty bad mistake, but it was his first time getting much run. So I'm not going to get all over him. But you have some guys who are making the consistent same mistake every game. Look like they're utterly locked out there. Marcus Hooker is certainly struggling. And Seven Banks is continuing to get beaten. Uh, that touchdown, the non-touchdown for Indiana in the first half, on the long run, where Banks got beaten and tracked the guy down, is utterly inexcusable. He's so lazy. He stayed with the guy, but kind of just was jogging with him, like, yeah, there's no way this ball's coming. Oh, crap, here comes the ball. And then he, caught the, he tracked the guy down after the catch, caught up like five, five yards on him. He dogged it on that play. That guy's going to be puking on the stadium steps today. Uh, no, no, no questions asked about it. And I think that's pretty emblematic of what's going on with the secondary right now. Yeah, Sean Wade has been a lightning rod for many just because obviously he's a high-profile guy. Ty Freifogel, and we talked about this on the BM5 on Thursday, that guy has thrown up numbers. That was not a fluke. That was the leading receiver in the Big Ten coming in. Wade made his share of plays, and Freifogel made his. I was very impressed with Penick's ability to stand in the pocket. We didn't get great pressure on him, but he's just simply better than I thought he was in terms of throwing the ball down the field and outside the numbers. His arm's a little bit stronger than I expected, but let's talk about the defense I do want to point out some guys who played very well. A guy who has made some serious cash this year and it's going to end up getting picked in the second round or third round and surprise people is Pete Werner. Is there anybody else on the defense you want to shout out? Well, yesterday, I think we saw the best game Baron Browning has ever played in his Ohio State. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was night and day compared to the indecisive guy we have seen for most of his tenure. This was a Browning that attacked the football downhill. Um, He made some big hits. He looked great to be real honest. Yeah. I, I was impressed with Josh Proctor yesterday. Again, he's the biggest hitting safety we've had in years at OSU. Him being on the field more and more is, is a good thing for OSU, particularly with the issues they're having right now. Um, but one thing I don't get is how little Zach Harrison continues to play. It seems like every time he's in, he does something. He, he hits Michael Penix's arm, and that should have been a fumble. Um, Ohio State's defense actually had two fumbles taken away by uh, video replay shenanigans in the first quarter. And that could have certainly changed the way this game went anyways. But I don't know why Harrison's not in more. There has to be some sort of off-field thing. That's the reason his rotation is where it is. Because outside of Jonathan Cooper, none of the other defensive ends are playing anywhere near Zach Harrison's level. Uh, so something's going on there. But he certainly flashed when he was in there. So I'm, And by the way, you know who we haven't said one negative thing about all year? And I know there's a certain segment of the fan base who cannot bring themselves mentally to admit that he's playing well. Tough Borland. I knew you were going to say that. Night and day better than he has been in the past for OSU. And I think he's been rock solid this year, even in pass coverage. So, again, I said this earlier. I'm more concerned about the defensive backs, not the defense itself, because we're seeing a lot of good things from the front seven. And I hate to be so specifically blaming it on one group, but that's that's just what I'm seeing out there. I think our our secondary just flat out has to play better. And – it starts with guys like Marcus Hooker and Seven Banks. 
Yeah, Marcus Hooker has just been bad. There's no other way around that. He, he's out of sorts. He's out of position. And when he's there, he's not making the play. Major drop off at safety considering the guy he replaced is starting for the St. Uh, St. Louis, Los Angeles Rams and thriving in Jordan Fuller. Defensive line, we just don't have Chase Young or Nick Bosa or Joey Bosa on the edge anymore. And while we do get good pressure, I remember third and long when you have Nick Bosa, it's either a sack or you need to call a play to avoid him. We do not have that. But I did want to echo your point on Baron Browning. He flashed all over the field yesterday. He is another guy that's going to get picked a lot higher than people think. And another one of the reasons is going to be his versatility. Let's talk about the competition. <laughs> Michigan in prime time needed three overtimes to beat Rutgers. Bax and I were discussing this before the show. We both watched that game. What does it say about Michigan that they barely and this is the definition of barely beat Rutgers in triple overtime and celebrated like they had broken the streak against Ohio State? So it's utterly indicting for Jim Harbaugh that his program is where it is currently at. In year six, that a rebuilding Rutgers team of all places has to take them to triple overtime. And that's a game that Michigan flat out should have lost, to be real honest. If Cade McNamara had not came in at that exact point in time and sort of got them back into it, it was 17-0 Rutgers. Zero passion whatsoever from that football team. Right now, I mean, this is, this is a reality. Michigan is closer to Rutgers than they are to Ohio State. That's a game that Rutgers – I mean, I, I ran a poll on, on the front row, and I asked everybody, I said, hey, who do you think is going to win this game? Like, don't tell me who your Buckeye brain says is going to win, but who you think is going to win? And more people pick Rutgers than Michigan. And to me, that's pretty in, 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 in indicative of where the two programs are right now. Rutgers is a much better, but the reality is Michigan's in a world of hurt. And I don't think Kay McNamara is some magical miracle salve like they're going to start selling us. Yeah, I watched almost every snap of that game. That was a fist fight between two evenly matched teams. And that is a terrible statement for where Michigan is. Greg Schiano, I wouldn't want to play for him because he looks like he's very, very overbearing and he talks to every single player when they come off the field and lectures him. But uh, he does know what he's doing and he's definitely at home at Rutgers. The other game we need to discuss, Ohio State appears to be on a collision course with Northwestern, who beats Whiskey. 17 to 7. Northwestern has a great defense. It does not have a great offense. Your thoughts on the Wildcats? So it was interesting watching Wisconsin and Northwestern to me because if you look at the way that defenses have been going in college football this year, outside of the Alabama Death Star that sort of got themselves together after a couple weeks, nobody else has been playing elite defense except for Northwestern and Wisconsin. Both of them were rated in the top five and scoring defense in the country. And if you watch that game, it ended at 17-7. to The truth is, I think both those teams are very good defensive teams. I mean, Wisconsin's has scored a ton of points on people when they, they've played in games this year that haven't been canceled, right? So they go from a big number against Illinois and a big number against Michigan to seven points against Northwestern. So that tells you about the defense that they have there. And I think that's what it's going to come down to for Northwestern. Look, the rest of their schedule is very, very weak. They've got Michigan State. They've got Illinois, and I think they have Purdue. I think there's – no, they already played Purdue, so I don't remember who the third team is, but it, it's very winnable. There's there's no crossover game with OSU or anything crazy like that. So it's almost certainly going to be the Wildcats, who we saw in the Big Ten Championship a couple of years ago. They're all defense, and they're also the type of team that, with, with their offensive woes, shouldn't be able to play with OSU. But if Ohio State cannot defend the pass – 
and you're letting everybody you play against have career days against you, then it's going to be interesting. But uh, it, t- it tells you the kind of year we're looking at in the Big Ten where, you know, Northwestern and, and Wisconsin is the key game for the other division. And it'll be certainly a different type of opponent than OSU's face this year because they haven't really played anybody who has an elite-level defense. I mean, Indiana probably has the best defense. And Ohio State did all right against them, especially in the first half. So that'll be one that's worth watching down the stretch for sure, though, just to keep an eye on Northwestern because reality is right now there's a 90% chance Ohio State Northwestern is the matchup in the Big Ten Championship. Ohio State, speaking of the state of Illinois, will meet the fighting Illini this coming weekend. The fighting Lovey Smiths are on a two-game road winning streak. They beat Nebraska and actually beat Rutgers the week before that. Your thoughts? Illinois, like you said, two in a row that they've won. This is also the end of November in Champaign, which is a wind tunnel. Uh, that's always my biggest fear playing Illinois at Illinois, is that it's going to be 35 degrees and windy, and it's going to completely make the game one-dimensional. I think Ohio State, this is a game where the secondary has to get better, even though Brandon Peters is back, and Josh and Bebe is a pretty good receiver. This is a game the Buckeyes should succeed in. Uh, but if the conditions stink, then I guess it's a really good time to say that Master Teague and company showed up yesterday because they needed that defense or that running game to have itself in position. This is a get-well game for the Buckeyes. They don't call him the people's champ for nothing. We appreciate him stopping by. The bucket is up. Check it out. Thanks, Bax. Thanks, Dan. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. As promised, we are joined by the Dean of Ohio State Recruiting, Bill Curlick. Bill, how goes it on a Sunday? Going very well up here in the capital city, except for the rain. It's a rainy day yesterday for the Buckeye game, and get up this morning and we got wet streets again so uh, other than that looking good up here in columbus and and uh ready to get to work all right bill i'll ask you the same question i asked Bax. ohio state beats indiana is ohio state the team that was up 35 7 with 12 minutes to go in the third quarter or is ohio state the team that kind of had to hang on down the stretch and win 42 35 Boy, I, uh, I've been befuddled. Um, you know, each game, I think that uh, yeah, after they build the big lead, this one they're going to go ahead and finish it off, and it's just kind of befuddling. Um, you know, I, I think they can be that good, the team that plays in the first half, but for – various reasons they're not quite finishing things off in fact i did uh, uh, recruits react to that game yesterday uh, article and a couple mentioned that they, you know they just had to finish things off um uh, i think the overriding sentiment on that on that article from was that uh, that there are just things they've got to clean up and um you know there were positives certainly uh getting the big lead against a good team uh the rushing offense you know that's not necessarily been there this season, but it was yesterday. 
and the rushing defense was outstanding. You know, held them to minus yards. But uh, um, yeah, I think they're right now they're they're somewhere in between those two teams with the potential if they clean things up. Um, uh, the, with the potential to be the team that dominates in the first half. And, you know, I, I say fans are hoping that happens, certainly. Normally in this space, we talk about visits and such from the weekend, but that's been eliminated. So we're going to get right to the good stuff. Last week, Bill, Ohio State secured a commitment from Quinn Ewers, class of 2022 quarterback from South Lake Carroll in Texas. I think it's fair to say he is widely regarded as the best quarterback not playing in college football or the NFL right now. Talk about the impact of signing him, kind of how Ohio State pulled it off, and if he will serve as the Pied Piper going forward. Well, Ewers, is, yeah, I saw him when he was going into ninth grade at Ohio State's football camp that day that Ryan Day offered him a scholarship. And, you know, he, he was not even, as I mentioned, not even in high school yet. And watching him at that uh, camp that day, you know, it was, you know, Ryan Day got to jump on everybody. Um, the only offer he had at that point was North Texas State. And, and Ryan Day getting that jump on things really started this whole thing off. And, and ever since that day, you were like Ohio State. To be honest, when he committed to Texas um, uh, during the summer, I was really surprised that, uh, that he pulled the trigger that quick. Not that, uh, you know – a Texas kid committing to Texas is a, is is that surprising usually? Just that it's I didn't not. Think he was going, yeah, just well, kidding. I didn't think he was going to do it at that point, and he did it. And um, you know, I, I think had Texas can you know really uh, had a great season and things been going well, I don't know that he necessarily would have uh, flipped. And, and had Corey Dennis not done the recruiting job that he did on him, he wouldn't have necessarily flipped either. I don't think you can give enough credit on that flip to Corey Dennis. He just did a spectacular job of staying with Quinn Ewers and continuing to recruit him. And, you know, there were other quarterbacks that Ohio State could have really got in on um, that are very good quarterbacks that they didn't go in on. Uh, Ja'Curry Brown from Georgia is an example of just one of them. And the reason was that Corey Dennis continued to do a super job of recruiting Quinn Ewers, and ultimately he flipped. You know, will he be the Pied Piper of the class? You know, it certainly is possible. But um, you've got a couple guys in this class right now that are doing spectacular jobs recruiting, at least a couple. Um, you know, you got uh, Desan McCullough, who is just doing an outstanding job of recruiting other guys. you got C.J. Hicks. So there could be multiple Pied Pipers in this recruiting class, and, you know, it's the number one class in the country. Um, it, 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 as good as the 2021 class has been, you know, people wondered what Ryan Day and Mark Fantoni were going to do in 2022. It could be even better when all is said and done. So we'll see. You've been around this game for quite some time, Bill, and covered recruiting more than anybody. How good is yours? Well, I think he's fantastic. Uh, you got a great arm. Somebody asked me yesterday on the front row, uh, about his arm strength, and I said that uh, it, it is outstanding. I said maybe not quite along the lines of uh, Cardell Jones, uh, but it is outstanding. And, and, and lo and behold, there was a video posted, um, I believe it was uh, yesterday sometime, 
that uh, had showed Ewers throwing the ball 85 yards, I believe, or something like that. Uh, great arm, you know, size, decision-making is there. You know, he's got the whole package, plays for a, a very good program. Um, you know, he, he really is the whole package. And I think that, uh, you know, for Ohio State, you know, they are now a destination school for the country's top quarterbacks every year. You know, how in the world do you get the guys? Uh, uh, usually when one or two great quarterbacks commit to your program, it's hard to get another. They just keep doing it one after another. You know, they got Jack Miller. They got C.J. Stroud. They got uh, Kyle McCord. Now they have Quinn Ewers. It's really amazing how how they are recruiting quarterbacks. They're the they're a destination school now for the top quarterbacks in the country, no question. And there's no question that was an enjoyable thing to hear. You need to follow the dean. He's all over it. It's going to be a big week for the Buckeyes. For those of you who want more on Quinn Ewers, Mark Porter has done a fantastic evaluation of him. That's up right now as well. Hope you enjoyed the Sunday show. Have a good one, Bucknutters.